and I have a great track record of winning at everything I've done. There's nothing closer to my heart that I'm more passionate about than this business. And I have no doubt we will win many races. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. My guest this week is one of Formula One's biggest fish. He's been involved in the sport for more than 30 years, primarily as a sponsor. But it's only this year that his status within the paddock has rocketed because he's the person responsible for bringing Aston Martin back onto the grid. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Lawrence Stroll. Lawrence is a force of nature. He's a workaholic billionaire, full of drive and raw ambition. Anyone who saw his appearance on the latest series of Drive to Survive will know that he's a man of few words, who doesn't suffer fools and who wants results now. And there's no doubting the immediate impact that he's had on his Formula One team since he bought what was Force India in mid-2018. The Silverstone squad now have a serious budget, some seriously impressive new hires about to join the workforce, and a seriously futuristic new factory in the throes of being built. The plan is for Aston Martin to challenge for world titles within five years. All I'll say, having recorded this episode with him, is you'd be a brave man to bet against Lawrence. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lawrence, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Busier than ever, if reports are correct. Is, is that how life is for you? Those reports are very accurate. <laughs> yes, busier than ever would be very, very fair. Well, look, we're talking in Turkey. So let's take a moment to reflect on last year. Such a great moment for the team. Lance on pole, Checo coming home second. Um, do those memories still put a smile on your face today? Of course they do. Um, you know, the very special times um, leave a very long-lasting impression. Lance Stroll going for Paul! Lance Stroll's done it by a second and a half at the very end after being on the back foot since his huge, huge crash in Mugello has done enough. An amazing qualifying session. And for the first time in Formula One, Lance Stroll, a pole position winner. Brad, I want to hear you say it, mate. That's pole position. I want to hear you say it. <laughs> That's pole position, Lance. Pole position. Let's go! Can you remember that sense of euphoria as, as Lance in particular crossed the line to take his first ever pole? I uh, remember very well. I was at my home in Switzerland watching it on the, uh, on the television. I remember it like it was yesterday. And which of your own achievements in life has given you a similar feeling? I don't think you could compare financial achievements, which is what I'd think of first with personal achievements, uh, particularly when it's one of your children. So uh, nothing registers quite as much as watching your children do something very special. And Lance, 
I mean, he's always been good in the wet, actually, in everything coming up to Formula One. And of course, I think of Monza 2017 as well, things like that. You know, he's got the pole. He's got those three podiums. How good is Lance Stroll? I think Lance demonstrated in all the junior categories when all the cars were pretty much identical. You just bought a car and there wasn't much you could do to it, whether it would be, uh, you know, won many championships in go-karting in his early days and uh, won in Formula 4, won in Formula 3. I think it was the most wins, most poles, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against a lot of the guys that are actually here today. Um, meaning in Formula One, so uh, I think given the given the, um, the 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 history of demonstrating, was able to do, and last year with having a proper car, we also had a lot of bad luck last year. You know, Lance was on a real roll; he was fourth in the championship, and then we had the tire blow in um, Mugello, which would have been another podium. Uh, we had a few people push him off the track. So we had our share of uh, share of bad luck last year, and really first year to have a car to be able to do anything with. And we all know you're only as good as a car. You could put any world champion in a car that's 18th on the grid, and he'll be 18th or 17th. Mm. He certainly isn't going to be first. You've talked about the euphoria of seeing one of your children do well. What is it like when they have a crash, like at Mugello? That was a big one. That was the Mugello was huge, yeah. terrifying. But how was it for you? That I meant for me, terrifying, right. absolutely terrifying as a parent. I mean, watching, God forbid, your son crash, watching anybody crash is terrifying. I remember watching Grosjean crash. It was the thoughts that go through your mind. And then Lance was, um, I think it was Kvyat, they hit him and turned him upside down at the restart just after Grosjean crashed. I was trying to recover from one and you get hit with a second. So uh, as a parent, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very difficult. I don't think it ever gets any easier whether they're, Eight years older, Lance's case, he's just 22, but it's the, it's the same. You're very convincing talking about him. He's clearly good. Do you think he has to work doubly hard to get the recognition he deserves? Because he's the boss's son. Does that make it harder for him? Uh, I would imagine, yes. Probably so. Did you ever think about trying to put him somewhere else? Uh, no, I haven't thought about that. You know, it's we started, as you know, with Williams, two years of torture, particularly when you know when you're used to coming off winning everything, and you're, you you train for two three hours every day and watch what you eat and you know the best you're going to do is be nineteenth on any given weekend. It's uh, it's challenging. So uh, getting him a car last year, which was the first year he had a car, because uh, was was very very important, very important for. For, for, for everything, for, you know, for all the work he's put in. Every kid deserves it, not only Lance. They all worked very hard to get to this level. Started very young in go-karting, seven, eight years old. Most of these guys I know from Lance racing in Europe with them. Usually they were a little older, but, you know, same weekend, just different category. Sebastian Vettel moved teams. He picks up his first podium for Aston Martin and their first podium in Formula One. Yes, mate, well done. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Great job. Hey, 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 that's a podium, man. That's a wrap. Thank you. Car was amazing today. Let's talk about Sebastian now. Was it a bit of a coup for you last year, getting a four-time world champion 
given that the team was still in transition? You know, I think it was perfect storm for both Sebastian and us. You know, Sebastian and I know each other for a while. He um, understood very clearly my passion and plans for the team. Um, you know, when we became Aston Martin, it wasn't transformative in name only. It was transformative in the direction and the plans that the business and the direction the business was going in. You know, we were recruiting over 250 new people. It's not just quantity, but the quality. And, you know, it's all about bringing Aston Martin back to winning world championships. And it's a journey. You know, it's a journey that doesn't take a week, a day, or even a year. It's a journey that's going to take several years. And Sebastian wanted to be part of that journey, to be at the forefront of that journey. And obviously to have a four-time world champion and the experience he could bring to the team, who has never won a world champion, so the way to think and to act. And, um, and for Sebastian, was really the beginning of a new journey of this new team coming to life that he wanted to be part of it from the beginning and hopefully could remain on forever in one way, shape or form or another. Ambassador also, it's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes. Has anything about him surprised you? Uh, I know Sebastian, we know each other for a while, so I can't say anything surprised me. He's, um, he, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, I think everyone knows he's a true gentleman and a great ambassador for the, for the sport. I mean, he really, you know, he, he, uh, he's a special guy. Outside the cockpit, how's he helping shape the team? Do you share the same vision? Uh, we definitely share the same vision. The vision is to do the best we can. And, um, and Sebastian, you know, I think if you look at his history at every team he's been, it's always pushing a little bit harder. And no different here. Um, we're, we're all rowing in the same direction and completely aligned. Do you think he's enjoying being part of a smaller less pressured in a way environment than he was in at Ferrari. Yes. Yes, I think we all know Ferrari's probably the biggest pressure cooker here. So definitely he enjoys that. Enjoys having less pressure. So how would you describe the vibe of Aston Martin? I think it's fair to say everyone recognizes in the paddock that we're the next big thing to happen in Formula 1. There definitely is that vibe. Actually, Sebastian himself told me that two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, where we were just sitting, actually having lunch outside here in the hospitality. He says, you know, it's just the vibe everywhere. Everyone's just talking that they all believe that we will be the next. You've talked about the five-year plan to win the world title. How's it going? Are you on schedule? We are, very much so. I mean, you know, as I said, there's, there, there's several pieces to, to that plan. One is, is recruiting the best people. Second is giving them the best tools and processes to be able to fight for world championship. And our case tools and processes is the brand new Aston Martin campus we're building, which is about 400,000 square feet. It'll nothing ever built like it before in Formula One. It'll be the state-of-the-art Formula One facility with a, uh, we call it a campus because it'll be over three buildings. The main building, which will have all the DO and the manufacturing and R&D, and then there'll be a, a new brand new wind tunnel, first new wind tunnel since I think in 2004 in Formula One, and then we'll have a building in the center, which will be for wellness and restaurants. We're, we're going to have a, a, a nursery to take care of 
people's children. So it's really tools that would be needed to be fighting for world championships. Have you enjoyed that process? Was it a blank sheet of paper? Right, lads, what do we need? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's a process that we started uh, before COVID. We, we hoped the building would already be finished today. Uh, we had to put it on hold for close to two years because of COVID. But it's, it's been a team process. It's everybody involved in the team of, you know, in their departments, department heads of what they needed in terms of premises and people in order to be fighting for the top. So it's been a fantastic experience. And it's, as I say, it's over two years now, basically on pause. Obviously, we've been working to, to, to improve it over those two years. But um, it is, it's very exciting to see. We've, we've started now building in Silverstone. So very exciting. How does it differ to other factories you've been in? Obviously, there's Williams, but you've been involved with other teams as a sponsor as well. Is, has there been anything like this before in Formula One? No, there'll, there'll be nothing at all like this. This will have our DNA, our culture, and it'll be, you know, fit for purpose. Can't wait for it to be finished. So the five-year plan, we're on schedule, the factory's being built. Does Aston Martin have to win the world title to be regarded as success, the Formula One program to be regarded as a success? No, it doesn't have to win a world title. It has to be fighting and contending for world championships. Um, winning would be the icing on the cake, but it has to have the ability every weekend to be able to win. Such as the vagaries of sport, really, isn't it? You yeah, well, it's, listen, it's, it's like every business I've ever run in my life. I, I obviously I have a, a, a great track record of winning at everything I've done. There's nothing closer to my heart that I'm more passionate about than this business. And for me, winning here doesn't necessarily mean winning the world champion, but means have a winning team that's capable each weekend of winning the race. Mm. Interesting that you, you do refer to it as a business, not a sport. Well, it is a business. There's been hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds invested. So it's, 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 a, it's a very large business. It's a very large business that has 750 to 800 employees. Um, there's a road car side of it with a couple thousand employees. So um, it's an extremely large business. Is it a sport for two hours on a Sunday afternoon? Of course it's a sport, but a sport is a business, just mm -hmm. as a football team is a business or a hockey team is a business. They're, they're, they're both. People say that this is unlike any other business. Now, you're an incredibly successful businessman. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. And have you had to adjust your modus operandi for Formula One? Not really adjust the modus operandi. It's not dissimilar to any other business that it's teamwork. And it's all about, you know, why I've been so successful in my history and my track record is part of it is surrounding myself with the best people in every business that I've owned. And that's exactly the same as implementing that here in Formula One, um, particularly because there's even more people and more teamwork involved here. So it's really about teamwork. You win as a team and expression goes, you lose as a team. So I find that even more relevant in Formula One. Have you always wanted to own a team? No. Wasn't a sort of boyhood dream? Uh, no. When did it become a... When, when um, Force India went into administration. Not prior to that? Not prior to oh. that. Never thought of owning a team. When Force India went into administration, I, I always recognized or believed that a Formula One team should one day 
have a very large value, like an NFL football team or a UK football club or, or what have you. And, and why it hadn't is because of the unlevel playing field with no budget caps. You had a few teams outspending the others, and basically that's why they were winning. What caught my attention with the Force India administration was this was a team that was two or three years, if you count the year of the administration, um, in fourth place with a fraction of the budget, a fraction of the headcount of the top teams. So it showed that the human capital of these, at the time, 400 people, in the famous expression, punching above the rate, really did. They did more with less. You know, they were fourth. The teams that were fifth, sixth, seventh had significantly higher budgets and a lot more headcount, and yet this team was able to be again, punching above its weight. So I said to myself, with the right leadership and vision, which I can bring, the right finances, which I can bring, there's a, a possible, strong possibility to take this team to be one day fighting for championships. In addition, though, simultaneously, it was with the acquisition of Liberty. Because with the acquisition of Liberty and then putting the budget caps into place that we are now for the first year um, all working under, and the more fair cash distribution for the how it's divided the, between the 10 teams made me check two boxes. So here I checked the box. It was a team with several years in fourth with the right leadership, vision, financing, etc. Could be more. And the field is now leveled with the budget cap. So I can't be outspent uh, any longer, which wasn't the case last year. And every year going forward, that will be more relevant because the history will time will, will, will pass and you know everyone will have a similar headcount and identical budgets and then it's about who's doing a better job and we already you know proved that this team could do a better job with basically less than the others so it was the combination of the performance if this would have been a team tooling around the ninth or tenth place i would have never bought it i've never entered the administration process i would have no interest because i know what it takes to take a team from tenth and it's uh, that's not what I would have signed up for, but it was a combination of the two. One without the other wouldn't have done it. To buy a team, no, I, I can't as an individual spend what Mercedes Benz or Red Bull. It's a marketing fizzy drink budget, or, or you know, it, it, uh, as an individual, it's very hard to compete with large corporations. But now this individual can match those large corporations with the budget cap in place. So timing is everything. In in that respect, yes, I wouldn't have bought it without those two stars aligning. And has that been something that's been the case throughout your career? When you, when you look at it, all, all the brands you've built up, did you get involved in those companies? It was, again, all about timing? Is, is... No, little, all the other brands I kind of started from scratch. They had been in business for years, but were significantly much smaller businesses that I grew to very, very large businesses um, by, by great vision, by great luck, and by surrounding myself with the best people in the business. Lawrence, you strike me as a very passionate man, a force of nature. Are they accurate I've been descriptions? I've referred to that once or twice, <laughs> <Okay>. both those. <laughs> in fact, Jaco Perez once described you as the most motivated person in the garage. Is that fair? We have a lot of motivated people in the garage, so I'm not sure, but passionate, yes, very. And with Lance being a racing driver, obviously you in charge of the team. Is Formula One now the family business? Uh, well, it's my business. Um, that is, you know, we, we, we have other family businesses, 
not at all relevant or in scale or size to the investment we have today based on Formula One and Aston Martin, the brand. You know, we, as I, you know, I'm the executive chairman and the largest shareholder of Aston Martin Legon, the, the road car company. So the combination of the two are, uh, are a sig very significant and largest investment that the family has today, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you've explained where you want the team to be in five years' time, which is challenging for world championships. What about Aston Martin Lagonda? Where do you want that in five years' time? Uh, we have very clear plans. I've already been executive chairman now for about 20 months, and uh, happily to say that when I first looked and did my due diligence at Aston Martin, I saw a car company that had probably arguably the most beautiful cars in the world, a um, 108-year-old iconic institution that the British, and I've really seen since taking over the company, the British have the pride and feel that, that, that they own Aston Martin. It's, it's, so it's owned by the country. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, when, when we change from Racing Point to, to Aston Martin, the level of letters for recruitment, for applications to come work, there were so many in, in the industry that it's been overwhelming. I had no idea the power of this brand, and it really is the power of the brand. You know, we signed hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of sponsorship before we even had a car painted um, because of the, the power of the brand. People want to be associated with this premium luxury 108-year-old brand. And the same with, with, with people, the letters we've received from people working for our competitors saying we want to be part of the journey to bring Aston Martin to World Championship. It's our pride, it's British. It's, so it's, it, it's, it's blown me away, truly blown me away, the, the, the power that this brand possess, particularly in the UK. And is Formula One working for you in the sense of brand awareness around the world? Have you got firm stats to prove that you're yes. in a better place now than you were no, nine for, months for, ago? We have tremendous amount of stats. Um, I forget the exact number, but it was, it was an astonishing... Uh, tens of millions of people that followed us on social media that had never followed us before from the first race in Bahrain. And, and we're, you know, we're also making huge steps with the road car company. You know, uh, the plans were about a company that made the most beautiful front engine sports cars that um, didn't always have the leading technology to match the beauty in the, of, of, of the product and the bespoke nature. You know, it was like Going to Salva Road to make your suit the greatest stitching and the greatest letters. And, and I think Merrick des designed the most beautiful cars. And, and that was bringing with my CEO, Tobias, the engineering and the technology to match that level of beauty. And, you know, we're, we're seeing it in all the cars we're, we're about to come out with in the next year or two. Um, you know, this DBX, this SUV has been fantastic. We have a, all new front engines all coming for 2023, an incredible mid-engine program. So the road car company is on the same path, the same journey as the Formula One team. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's tremendous for these two companies to be being on the same journey at the same time. Lawrence, can we just talk about the early years now, your first contact with Formula One? My first contact with Formula One um, would have been in, in the 90s when Peter Collins and Peter Wright took over what became Team Lotus after Colin Chapman sadly passed away. And uh, we knew each other. I was coming to a few races back then with a dear friend of mine. And 
Paddock was a very small place back then and uh, wasn't like it looks today with all these great motorhomes, etc. And uh, we knew each other from that and they approached me to, uh, to be a clothing sponsor, which I did. And then due to my competitive nature, we, we were sadly too close to the back of the grid. And I said, well, what do we need to do to get a little forward, even though I was a clothing sponsor and ended up becoming a small minority shareholder. And then realized then after staying in that for two or three years, that unless back then, unless you were an OEM where they had cigarette sponsors, of course, back then, or cigarette sponsors, you had no way of competing and for financial reasons. So that goes back to, uh, to my first foray into Formula One. Why did you choose Formula One uh, to promote the brand? We're talking Tommy Hilfiger, aren't we? That was Tommy Hilfiger. Did you look at other sports as well, or were you already involved in other sports as well? No, we weren't involved in any other sports. I guess it was partially my passion for automotive which i always have since i'm a little kid and um i saw it again as 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 the right platform we were looking to expand our brand globally um and for no sport does it better than formula one as we know today 23 races around the world i mean there's no other sport that you could promote your brand like that you say you've always been a car nut where'd that come from is it is it a parent or not a parent just uh i guess like a Many little boys growing up, it's cars and girls. Picture the car on the wall, picture the girl on the wall. <laughs> and it was it a red car? I believe it was a red car. It was a red Always car. Always a red car, right? Always, well, 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 it was a red car at the beginning. <laughs> um, Some green cars came after. But what, was it a, did you ever have a desire to, to drive, to race? I did race. I raced for, uh, well, I don't know, about 15, 18 years. I began to race in the Ferrari Challenge. And I did all what was called Grand Am in the States, which was like uh, WC over here. And then I uh, did a lot of, many years of that and a lot of historic racing. Um, Don't be modest. How quick were you? Uh, for our challenge, I won a few few years in a row. Uh, Grand Am, I think we won one year. Uh, I think it was 12 races back then. So uh, we, had, we had some good fun. Would you ever consider doing a race with your son sharing a car? Uh, I've, yeah, I would definitely love to do that. I don't know that we have the time to fit that into our schedule right now with our Formula One calendar. Come on, I could see you guys at Le Mans or something. Yeah, if we had, in the, an t- if we had the time, it would be unbelievable. Now, those Lotus years, I think we're talking 91, aren't we? Yes, Herbert, Herbert, Herbert and, and Mika. And Mika Hakkinen. Yeah, we're now, first two drivers. And they're two rogues, aren't they? Two yeah. practical jokers. Was it happy times? You say that... Oh, no, they were very, very, very happy times at the beginning. They were very, very happy times. But, you know, if you're not competitive, it, or it's not as competitive as you'd like to be, you know, the pressure starts to set in. But extremely happy times. So how did the deal with Ferrari come about? Ferrari, I, I want to say, had a clothing sponsor at the time. They stopped with the sponsor they had. And it was actually Bernie Ecclestone. Bernie and I were friends. And uh, he said, you know, Ferrari's looking for a new clothing partner. And they'd like it to be very important, and not just to be a sticker on a car, but get involved and make special functional product and teamwear, and et cetera. And, uh, and I met, uh, went to uh, Fiorano and met uh, with Luca, and, uh, and then Jean Todd, and, and I guess the rest is history, as they speak. We had many wonderful years together. Memories of working with Michael Schumacher? Great memories. Michael and I were, um, were quite good friends. Um, he, he, you know, tragic, obviously, 
But what would happen, um, one of the most focused, devoted guys you'll ever meet, as we all know, his work ethic and unique, very special man. Can we talk favourite road cars now? The poster on the wall as a kid was red. I know you've got a wonderful car collection. Do you have a favourite? I don't really have several favourites. Um, I don't really have a favourite. Um, I my, In the last several years, my favourites have been some of my phenomenal Aston Martins I've acquired. But a very special DB4 GT, one of three lightweights in the world. I bought three very special, in 1955, Aston Martin, the only time, made a 12-cylinder engine to compete at Le Mans that they put in a Lagonda. Because, you know, Aston Martins were six cylinders. So Lagonda, which was always meant to be a little more premium, they built only once 12-cylinder engines. Cars were very fast. They, they, sadly, they weren't very reliable, and they ran Le Mans 55. And it was kept in one family uh, in the UK, had bought the two, it's actually two cars in one chassis, and had them for many years, and I recently have been able to acquire the cars, currently being restored in our own workshops, and uh, be taking them to, uh, to Pebble Beach next year. So the, 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 those right now would be my favorite. And are you the kind of guy who drives his cars? Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of, I still do a lot of, well, not anymore, a lot. Occasional historic racing, you know, when I go to Pebble Beach, I'll race in the historics at Monterey, or a couple of years ago I did... Uh, the not the first time, but the uh, historic Le Mans, uh, which is a great race. So uh, when the time permits between all these weekends that we're here, it's not as much fun. Yeah. Is a car's your greatest extravagance, would you say? I think cars are my greatest passion outside of running my businesses, yes. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. They're both one. Automotive now is my business which is my passion. So you can't be luckier than be doing, going to work doing what you're passionate about every day. A lot of people listening to this might think, right, Lawrence, you've had an incredibly successful career. You don't have to work. Why do you work? Why don't you just drive the cars, sit on the beach? <laughs> That's not my nature. It's, as you touched on earlier, I am extremely passionate. Um, who would not want, if they had the opportunity, to be executive chairman and largest shareholder of this British iconic institution called Aston Martin, to be able to get involved and build what I believe will be the greatest cars the automotive world will see from now over the next 10, 15 years, and then be able to have a, the Formula One team that sits beside us with the same namesake. I mean, if that isn't a great dream, I don't know what is as a kid who grew up passionate about automobiles to end up with this greatest name and this great companies. Are you working as hard now as you did 30 years ago? I think I'm working harder today than I worked 30 years ago. At least it feels like it. Maybe it just feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> but are you enjoying your work more than you did 30 years ago? I'm enjoying it as much, but in a different way. Um, it was fashion and today it's automotive. I always have been more passionate about automotive. Fashion was a business. Cars were my passion. That's what I'm saying, how lucky that now it's rolled up into one. And my business is my passion, and they're one and the same. You've mentioned already about getting the right people around you. Martin Whitmarsh, he's just joined last Friday. Why did you feel the need for Martin? Several reasons. As I touched on earlier, 
you know, I took over this business. We were, had a 400 headcount. We're on our way to over 700. It's a different business at that point. And as all the other competitors, as you know today, have other technology businesses to sit alongside their Formula One team, we're expanding in that direction. We're building a new factory, um, which is very time-consuming. Um, Martin went through building a new factory. He did some learned what to do right, what not to do again as well. And that's a reference to the MTC at McLaren. Yes, he yeah. was very much in, involved. I know Martin for over 20 years. One of my dearest friends was sadly passed away was Mansoor OJ. I knew Martin won in races with Mansoor but, but way back. And, um, and clearly Martin, you know, he did an incredible job. When Martin was at McLaren, McLaren was the gold standard. It was had all the performance culture. It was um, clearly the best of what, you know, won eight world championships over 100 races. It, it, it was, at that time, the benchmark of what a Formula One team should be run like. And, you know, again, I told you, surround myself with the best people. There's not many people that have Martin's track record in history. Um, very few, by the way. Um, you know, who I like to have the famous expression, saw the movie, wrote the script. Martin saw the movie of how, and write the script of how to be um, an eight-time world championship Formula One team. And whether he did it five years ago, ten years ago, it, 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 it's the same thing. It's the same principles. It's a performance culture. It's a work ethic. It's, it's how to apply all those principles to the team that I bought. And, you know, again, having somebody, whether it's Sebastian on the driver's side, was Martin on the managerial side, having someone who has that world championship experience to bring that into our team and to our team have that culture is, 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 is priceless. And we're growing by leaps and bounds and our ambitions, as you know, are to be world champions in at least fighting for world championships in, in the coming future with this all new premises and, and, and um, someone like Martin, which I didn't know anyone else like Martin, I think he's quite unique with his track record and history. And the fact I know him makes it, you know, for that many years gives me a great level of comfort. There's not many people with his track record and um, very well liked, very well respected. I, I was glad I was able to convince him to, uh, to come to join me. Is he treading on Otmar Safnauer's toes? Oh, he only started three days ago, so he's not treading on anybody's toes just, just yet. Um, does Otmar report to him? Yes. Um, does he, and Martin relatively reports to me. Um, you know, the group, and that's the difference. What, what I bought as a team, and now we're going to be a group. So Martin's responsible for the whole group. One of his responsibilities will be the Formula One team. And of course, since he left Formula One in 2014, one of the things he's done is the America's Cup. Yeah. Is that an avenue that you might pursue? Right Could you now, use your expertise, your Formula One expertise, it, in another sport? It will, it will, you know, again, Martin only started f less than a week ago, um, but w we we will have an engineering performance technologies business to cater and to supply services and our expertise to other industries. Could America's Cup be one? Yes, as I believe Mercedes currently doing that with uh, with Ineos. Yes, so. Um, it's all a week old. What you're doing reminds me of when Red Bull took over the Jaguar Formula One team at the end of 2003. I've Is heard that, that comparison. Recently. Right. And do you think it's a fair comparison? I don't know enough about that to compare. I wasn't 
focused in 2003 on what Jaguar did or what Red Bull did. But I, th- I think with the comparison, if there's one to take, is I think Red Bull took a small team and made a great big team out of it. In that comparison, that similarity is fair. That's exactly what we're doing. One of the things they did was um, go and seek Adrian Newey. And he delivered them, obviously, with a great team behind him. But he delivered four world championships. Is the model similar here at Aston Martin? Are you seeking that magic bullet, that Adrian Newey character? Or is the structure going to be completely different? No, uh, well, the structures. I mean, I think Adrian's a um, a unicorn. He's a very special. Maybe exists once, um, but um, you know. I guess you followed recently in the last several months all the announcements we've made of, of the top executives, um, senior management we've hired in, in the industry. Uh, one of them happens to be Dan Fellows, who was a chief aerodynamicist working for twelve years under Adrian. So um, maybe if we don't have Adrian, we have Dan. But um, I, I believe it's, it's not about one person. It, it's about teamwork. It's going to be about 700 people. And I'm sure if Adrian was sitting here, he'd say the same thing. I'll, I can't speak for him. But for us, it's going to be about 700 people. And while you're employing all these people, is there a character trait that you're looking for in each person? A winning culture, dedication, passion, work ethic. Want to have the passion that I got to do better than my competition. So when are you going to be ready, Lawrence? When you, you talked about the five-year plan, uh, uh, is we, it going to take that long? Yeah, or? well, we clearly need these facilities. We're still operating out of what was Eddie Jordan's place, which you could imagine the challenges. Um, Thirty, I don't know, two or three years, whatever it was, years ago. Um, we need these new facilities um, to provide, I said, the tools and the processes. We're going to have our own wind tunnel. That, 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 that's, you, you know what that means for a Formula 1 team. It's dramatic. It's, it's, and it, you know, a lot of technologies happened between the last one being built in 2004 and t- today. So we, we, I'm realistic. We're, we need the right time without pressure to put together the right team of people, which we're doing, and we started two years ago. And with now Aston Martin's association by brand, we're rich, we are attracting, because of my passion, my track record, the, the name and the brand Aston Martin, again, the facilities we're building. So we, we need it all to come together. Um, and, and the facilities will be complete in the next 18 months. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's a question of time. It's like building any business. Other company I've owned took five to seven years to to start to get it all right. And then from seven to 10 years, you grow stronger and stronger. So, you know, famous expression, Rome wasn't built in a day. There's no business built in a day. Formula One team, no different than any other business. You've got to hire all the right people and they got to do a good job. They certainly do. So, Lawrence, just to end, what would it mean to you to win a race as Aston Martin? We won a race last year as Racing Point. It would mean more because of my association now and ownership of Aston Martin Lagonda um, and I have no doubt we will win many races uh, and I'm looking forward for that day to come and what would it mean to you to win the world title I think it would mean as much to me as it would maybe a little more to me I was going to say than anybody else who owns a team because of the association that I have with the brand of, of having both the 
road car company and the Formula One team. Would that be the greatest achievement of your life? Yes. I think that would be fair. Well, good luck with it. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, what did you make of that? My biggest take-home message was Lawrence's drive. He's 62 years old and has all the money in the world, yet the success of Aston Martin, both road and racing, really matters to him. He still has incredible drive and commitment. But he also has a huge passion for the sport. He loves automobiles. He's raced them and he collects them. And that combination surely leaves Aston Martin in good hands. Lawrence, it was great to have you on the show. Many thanks for your time. Good luck with everything Aston Martin related. And I look forward to seeing you again in Austin. Now, as ever, please send in any stories or thoughts that you have on Lawrence. I'm at Tom Clarkson F1 or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Emanuele Pirro after last week's episode. What a lovely man Emanuele is and what a career in motor racing he's had. Let's start with this from Ashley Woodhouse. I could have listened to Emanuele's wonderful anecdotes for hours, he says. He has some great stories to tell and he's a true gentleman. Yes to all the above, Ashley. Great stories from a truly wonderful man. Douglas Mayer got in touch to say this. Yet another five-star interview. Well, thanks, Douglas. Uh, Emanuele Pirro's outlook on life and his humble attitude towards the people he's had in his life is quite inspirational. We could all learn from him. Thank you. His loyalty to McLaren when Ferrari came knocking is one such example, isn't it, Douglas? Then again, who wouldn't have wanted to stay working alongside Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost? Let's next hear from Jonas Etrup. Wow, what an episode. Such a legend and what a storyteller. Could listen to him for hours. Love the stories from 1980 to 1990 when the commercial games were different in Formula One. It's my new favourite episode alongside number 32 with Mr. Luca de Montezemolo. Keep them coming. Well, we will do that, Jonas. And I'm glad you enjoyed hearing from Emanuele so much. Although it's clear that you like hearing from Italians. We'll do more of that as well. And let's end with this from Wrapped Up Music. Seeing Emanuele plough through the polystyrene blocks at Hockenheim is indelibly imprinted into my memory, being the first Grand Prix I ever watched back in 1989. And this is my favourite interview so far, Tom. Emanuele is so humble, so warm, and has such positivity of spirit. Lovely man. Great pod. Thank you, Mr. Rapt. That is a lovely message. And we'll leave it there. We got lots more messages, but in the interest of time, I will have to stop there. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. We love getting your messages and we read them all. Now, before we end, I wanted to give you a little taster of what's to come next week on F1B on the Grid. Say I'm at McLaren for five years and we don't get a title. Will I, I don't want to look back on the five years as a failure because then it's like, well, okay, I've, that's five years of my life that I'm kind of just flushing down the toilet. Five years of your life is a lot of time. And so that's, that's maybe the mindset switch that I've 
made and it's not it don't get me wrong it has not made me any softer or less driven or less motivated i want to enjoy my time here in the sport and the goal is world champion and i think that's why i will wake up every morning with the desire to do this but i don't want that to dictate my whole happiness winning in monza was probably all i needed to give me all the happiness in in 2021 that as you can probably guess is daniel ricardo now a race winner at McLaren and a man with a fresh outlook on life. So don't miss the episode out just before the US Grand Prix. Well, that's it for another week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Lawrence and don't forget to send in your thoughts and stories on him. Otherwise, I'll see you next week with everyone's favourite Aussie. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.